Welcome everybody to Damage Radio. We're here live on mockradio.com or Music of Minds. You already know me, I'm Marcy Alonso. He's amazing. He's a Monster Factory alumni. Mike Thanos. Mike, welcome back to Damage Radio, man. What's going on, brother? How you doing? Not too much, man. Just, you know, another day, another dollar. Man. Another dollar. Kind of cool to be a wrestling fan right now. Dude, you're telling me, man. All these, like, all these free agents... All these new signings, you never know when you watch next week or this week who's going to show up. Big, big buzz in the wrestling business. It's like almost like it's kind of got that old school feeling back in the day when it was like the WCW, NWO slash WWF wars on Monday night. It's kind of starting to get that vibe again. It's not there yet, but you could kind of feel it building kind of like a roller coaster, like you're going up the tracks. You know, you're climbing it, you're climbing it, and you're like, all right, right. You're starting to get there, and then you're starting to look up, and you're like, all right, this is going to be a big drop. So I'm hoping that the momentum keeps rolling, that train. Definitely. Now, I got to ask you, man, for someone that uh, had to retire, in quotes, I'm going to say, you know, because <laughs> of injuries and life, you know, now that it's booming again, this business, man, are you getting that itch on that arm? Is it itching uh, a little yeah, bit? You always get the itch, and we were we were talking a little bit before we we started the show, just catching up. I mean, like right now, it's definitely an exciting time to to be a part of the business, be around the business, cover the business. Like anything really wrestling related is kind of getting cool again to do, which is it's kind of been lacking for a handful of years. So yeah, part of me always gets that itch, but like I was telling you off off air. I would have to come with a different approach. I would have to be more like a, a microphone kind of guy or like maybe even a manager would be kind of sick, like a Paul Heyman slash MVP right now. But could you see yourself just, doing that though? I could. I could. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I still kind of have like the wrestler look, so I don't know what they would add. I mean, MVP still a big guy too. So I guess they could mask that in a different way. But I was going to say, like, I know that, they tend to not always like you can't be like a six foot seven referee and look like you right. know Drew McIntyre and be like okay I'm gonna be a ref like I'm cool with that they're like yeah Definitely. you're gonna you're gonna make my guy look like kind of shit so we can't do that but Definitely. yeah I mean you get the itches the itch will always be there I think until I probably can't do anything anymore ever again so yeah well, that's the know. thing well, that's the thing though with all elite wrestling. People have creative control of what they're doing, as we're kind of seeing. WWE, sometimes you don't get that creative control. Well, For you, how would you feel? I think that's huge. I think it obviously would depend, you know, in a hypothetical world, if I were to go back, it would depend on which company I went with. Um, I think creative control is, is very important because obviously you feel comfortable doing what you either envisioned in your head or maybe your trainer or, you know, whatever helped, helped you create. And I think that's kind of the issue I see in WWE, like not to knock anybody because they're all phenomenal athletes. And obviously been, most of those guys are accomplished, you know, around the world. But I feel like sometimes, you know, it's just like, well, like a movie, like sometimes the actor is good and sometimes an actor is not good or sometimes a role fits them and sometimes a role doesn't fit them. And I think WWE is very, micromanaged or like you know they have a vision of what they want for you which might not be what you want but you still want to 
do your job and be a, a good employee and get ahead eventually to where maybe you could. I mean, you know, you've seen countless stories throughout the years, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, arguably the biggest guy ever, you know, he came in and had how many different gimmicks before he was Stone so, Cold. Yeah. And, you know, he obviously wasn't as popular or even a fraction of as popular as he was when he was those other gimmicks because maybe he wasn't being himself. Maybe he was trying to fit a different mold that he wasn't trying, you know, that he wasn't comfortable fitting. And I think that happens a lot on WWE specifically. And I feel like, you know, maybe the guys aren't comfortable reading the promos that they do, that they give them. Cause I have heard that they're very, you know, this is what we want you to say. Here's the script. Like don't really deviate too much from that. And I think that's kind of the organic stuff that's missing in WWE. So if I were to go to WWE, I would probably try to emulate Kind of like what MJF does in AEW. He's very microphone oriented and very even his matches. Like not not to say that he's not a good in ring worker, but he clearly has a, a personality and a you know a microphone presence that he puts all his effort and time into. And I think that I think that just works in wrestling. I think the hardcore fans like the you know the crazy five star you know, matches where they go 20 minutes back and forth and there's a hundred false finishes back and forth and crazy dives and stuff. But I think what translates the most, you know, and gets the most mainstream buzz is a guy who can really use a microphone well. And, you know, your CM Punk's, your MJF's, your Chris Jericho's, who was a bigger, you know, you name it. Even, even when WWE kind of had a, a lack of it, like Enzo Amore, a lot of guys would like to break him, you know, for not being the most technical wrestler or whatever, but the guy could cut a promo. Yep. With size and that's the thing. You said MJF, man. Um, He never breaks character. He's at a convention. Mm-hmm. He'll make fun of the guy or just sign it, your name. and Like, that's it. Like, yeah. you know, instead of putting his actual name on there for an autograph that people are spending 20 bucks for. You yes. know, like, he I, lives that character. And I really, I actually really dig that. Because I, to go back to what we were talking about, like if I were to come back, what would I, I do? If you did more of an old school style heel, I mean, wrestling hit a, a peak where like the heel was cool to root for. And be- before that period, which I guess when you would do say the Attitude Era, before that period, it was always generate as much heat as you can as a bad guy, you know, make the crowd hate you, make the people hate you and you've seen you know countless documentaries like Roddy Piper and Mr. Perfect and all these guys that were great heels if you were kind of more like that like a throwback to where you kind of just made people hate you at all times like MJF does I think that's different and I think it's like unique like obviously there's all different styles like right now Roman Reigns is a heel but like He's kind of cool, so it's hard to like yeah. do him all the time because you're like, damn, the guy looks like a million bucks. He's kind of funny. He's got Paul Heyman. He's got the Usos. So it's like sometimes that still does work, but then I think that's not everybody. Everybody's not Roman Reigns, so they can't get away with that. Right. And with the WWE, especially when AEW wasn't around, you could tell like people felt like – McMahon and the higher ups were breathing down people's neck at WWE. When you were there for that split second, you know, doing that little tryout, mm-hmm. could you feel that tension backstage with the 
um, agents that were telling you what to do and telling others what to do and making sure catering was right. Like that, they had a lot of pressure on them. Whereas, like, you, you can't sleep, or else you could be gone like that. Definitely, I don't know. I don't know. I guess everybody. It depends on where they're at on the card and everything. Um, but when you're, I mean, essentially at that time period when I was there to do my my extra work and tryout work, WWE was basically the only show in town. Like there still was TNA, there was still Ring of Honor, there was still New Japan, but they're all different. You know, different animals. And they're more of a smaller budget, I feel like. Maybe not New Japan, but some of the other ones were smaller budget. So WWE was kind of the only show in town. And when you're the only show in town and you want to work there, you're going to kind of tow the company line and you might not take a chance on something that might actually work. You know, I, I, I felt like even being with the extra crew that I was with, I know a lot of people were kind of like on their you know, their best behavior, their best manners, which you should be. You do want to be professional. Right. You don't want to be backstage looking like a clown or whatever, or acting like you don't care. But in the same sense, you know, like I had a weird vision when I was there. I actually, you know, we were walking around, you, you, you know, you get to see the backstage area, you get to kind of figure out where you have to be, where everyone's going to be, kind of see what everyone's doing. And as I was walking around, I was kind of venturing off. I actually almost ran into Vince McMahon like he came through this curtain that I was getting ready to like walk through like a couple second time lapse so he was walking through and he had his he had a cell phone he was taking a call and like in my mind you know you kind of want him to lock eyes with you because you you never know maybe he sees something that he was thinking about earlier in the day or talking about in a meeting and like maybe I would fit that mold but you also at the same time you kind of want to be like well i want to be super respectful and i don't want to have this guy like even look at me wrong or like think that like you know i did anything that needs to like have me removed from the building but then i had like a thought in my head i was like you want to talk about like an idea for like a opportunity to get a contract i was like what if i walked up to vince like behind him while he was on the phone and i took his phone out of his hand and hung up and then I gave it back to him and said, hey, I know, you know, that phone call might have been important, but I'm going to be your WrestleMania headliner in the next five years. I just wanted to formally introduce myself and then do that. I was like, one of two things that either happened. It either had me thrown out of the building immediately <laughs> and you'd probably never even see WWE again. Or he would think that that took a huge, you know, set of waivers. Now, what WWCD, what would Danny Cage do? <laughs> Danny Cage? What would he tell you to do? Yeah, he might have, I don't know. It's, it's such a tough, it's such a tough thing because you're kind of being like a kamikaze. Like, right. It's good work. Yeah, like, true, maybe, maybe I can hit a jack and, and get out alive, but maybe not. But I was just like a weird little thing I thought about when I was just standing there and I was like, that would either be hundred percent money and that'd be a story that you'd see like down the road on like a documentary where they'd be like yeah he actually walked up to vince and hung up the phone you know you could like just see it i was like or you would just be that guy that got blackballed from wwe for hanging up you know a phone call vince mcmahon because he was on the phone with like you know some super investor that like he needed to take that call Chances are it probably wasn't. It was probably like Linda or something. So yeah, right. like yeah. take, take your medicine, Linda. Linda, take your medicine. <laughs> yeah, it was probably something like yeah. that. But yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, he was friends with the president at the time. Like it could have been the president. Like, what if I just like hung up on the yeah. president? Yep. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. Yep. You're like, you just hung up. Hey, did did you have president. time to soak it in? 
Yeah. Like when you were in the ring, did you have time before the bell rang to actually look around and be like, I'm here? Or yeah, no? We when we did so we did a raw and a smackdown and one was in Wilkes Bear PA and one was in Baltimore. I think Raw was Baltimore and SmackDown was Wilkes Bear. And at the time Raw was live, SmackDown was taped, and it was Monday, Tuesday, back to back. And the just the atmosphere of the shows were different right away. Like Raw's live, so they have to have everything, you know, all the guys that and girls that are doing their thing kind of have to talk with their agents and then get make sure they're in position and read what they are, you know, have to do that night and smack down with a little more chill because obviously if you have a backstage segment or something, you don't have to hit it on the head right away. But I do remember on Raw, I was a rosebud with Adam Rose. Remember that whole stick? Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, being in gorilla position and kind of looking around and, and seeing, you know, you could see Vince and Stephanie and some of the other big agents at the time. And then I remember walking out on the stage and just kind of, like, seeing the crowd. And just the way the lighting is, it's different. So you don't see, like, every single face and every single set of eyeballs. But you you feel the energy and you see it. And it was just it was awesome. I totally get how those guys, you know, say it's like a drug and you want to get it all the time. Yeah. I can only imagine that last year, how rough it probably was to not have a crowd and feed off of that energy and stuff, especially when you're trying to be a character and right. all that kind of stuff. It was probably tough, but... And with fun. other companies not around, like the Adam Rose Buds thing, and then the No Way Jose thing, kind of like the same exact thing almost. Mm-hmm. You had people coming down, walking around the ring, dancing around the ring. Was that just like a lack of ideas there, or what do you think is going on? I think, I think WWE especially at that time i'm not sure what they're going through right now like what kind of transition or anything but i think they hire a lot of different writers from different industries that aren't necessarily wrestling fans and i think that's where they lose their their core audience or their older fans like us that grew up on wrestling that loves it you know i think nostalgic wrestling from the 2000s, 90s, 80s is just as popular now as it was back then. You know, so many people my age always reference that or or talk about that time period. And I think a lot of it was just because it was genuine wrestling storylines and genuine blending culture from that time period in with everything. And I think more recently with WWE, like within the last 10 years, when especially when they don't have that much competition, I think they overcomplicated a lot of their work by hiring, you know, Hollywood at, like writers and you know, Freddie Prince Jr. Right, like all different different walks of life that might not necessarily be wrestling fanatics or know how to really write a wrestling show. But then you then you hear the stories of like when wrestling guys do get in those positions. Like the big story for a while was when Jericho's last run with WWE. Jimmy Jacobs, who was with Ring of Honor forever, he became a writer, and then he came up with a lot of Jericho's really good last run, you know, the list of Jericho and the best friends with Kevin Owens, and you yeah. see how well, I mean, it still takes a guy of that that caliber of the Jericho and a Kevin Owens to be able to deliver on it, but it was 
more of a wrestling like it was still funny but it was a wrestling shtick as opposed to where i think like the no way jose shtick and like even the rosebud thing you kind of know there's an expiration on that there's an expiration on the friends one too you knew that they're but there you knew there's a blow off with that where they're going to turn on each other and then you can do that feud from there and then you can splinter off with the no way jose and the, the rosebud gimmick there's kind of like once that expires it expires i mean you could make them completely change and turn into like you know jerk heels but right that would be a whole and retribution's exact point of that retribution was supposed to be this big thing and it just fizzled out quickly leaving mace and t-bar with nothing to do so they tag team for a little bit and now you barely see them yeah and that and that makes it awkward and tough for them like i know uh mace and T-Bar, one of them's really Donovan Jakovic, and he, he's, yep. he actually wrestled at the Monster Fighting for a while. Really nice guy, you know, really talented, big kid. But for a person like that, that doesn't really have too much, you know, like ground in the company to do, that's really frustrating because now you're given a gimmick that's kind of like you can't like what could they really have done with that to maximize it you know what i mean like it was like it was a kind of a cool idea at first and then i guess when they decided to scrap the whole plans with the the mustafa ali and all that kind of stuff now you really put them in a tough spot and yeah they could be a tag team and they're both really big guys and talented guys but it's tough once you already introduce yourself to the crowd and to the to the fans and the wwe universe and all that People don't forget, like, Bray yeah. Wyatt was awesome, but people still remembered he was Husky Harris. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was yep. so good that he could make you forget about that. But if you're not that good, you have that yeah. coming in over your head right away, and it's tough. It's hard to shake that once you have, like, a, a stamp on you already, you know? It's like it's like a scarlet letter. Like, you're just wearing it around like, shit, I had a gimmick that didn't really work, or... It's kind of like a time lapse thing, and now the time's up, and now I got to do something else, or my job's going to probably be up because there's only so many spots. Right. And you don't want the spots that aren't on TV, and you know, you want to constantly because that's how you're going to maximize your, your time there, your career. And then even when you leave, you know, you can do yeah. your, your independence and your, your signings and stuff. The longer you're on TV, the, the more money you're going to make, you know. Right. Now, for the independent scene, do we have writers that come up with storylines, or how does that work? Is that, that like you know, for instance, from what you saw? It depends on what you know, what organization you're working for. If you're kind of running, if you're going to, you know, and and it happens, you have very unprofessional places that you work that are like kind of like a flea market, and you're just with a group of people, and you just kind of get put into a match with another person and you just got to make it work and there's really no storylines and it's whatever you're just doing it to get experience and you never know who that person might be like you know somebody at one point worked with the rock in a flea market you know and now he's the rock yes. you know what i mean so you never right. know like yeah. you know Luis, who's now damian priest like he did stuff like that so somebody you know somebody worked with that in a really you know less than ideal situation to do it but some places are more professional like i worked at ecwa a lot which ran out of delaware and sometimes new jersey monster factory 
Um, there was a couple different places that were good that had storylines and kind of gave you an idea of what they wanted. And that's always... How did that work out? Like, let's talk about the good, the Monster Factory. Did, did you come up with an idea, you tell him, and then you kind of roll with it or, or talk about it and sometimes. see meet in the middle? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's hard to explain with wrestling storylines. I think when you're younger, you just kind of want to be in the best shape you can. Well, at least I wanted to. That was my... Like be in the best shape you can be in, maximum like learn as much as you can, and you kind of like let the storylines. You you know like Danny was in charge of all that. He still is. He knew what your character was essentially. Like he trained with him all all month, all week, you know, every day. So he kind of gets an idea of what your character is and everything, and then he kind of makes the storylines. But I feel like now, as I got as I'm older, I would probably chime in more. You know, and maybe help create where I want to go with my character more, because I think creative control is an important thing in the business, and I think that's what a lot of people that leave WWE always say, and that's a, a lot of the positive things you hear about AEW is that you kind of get a lot of creative freedom. And, yeah, you know, when you're doing something like professional wrestling, creative freedom is huge. You know, you want to be able to be comfortable in your own skin and your own. Sh- I mean, you're going out in your friggin' underwear for God's sake. You got to be able yeah. to like believe in what you're doing because if you don't, you know, it's not going to work. So if Mike Spanos came back, you know, to pursue hopefully a tryout in one of these major organizations, you went back to the Monster Factory. Will we see the amazing Mike Spanos, or will we see a totally different version? Oh, I would do a different. Yeah, something similar to a degree, because I, I was always comfortable being a heel. I like to talk a lot. I like to talk trash. Um, so that aspect would probably be the same, but I would definitely want to like repackage myself. Like I had many different ideas throughout the time. Like when you get hurt, you always have a lot of time to think. Um, but I would definitely be more of a a character. Like when I was when I was simply amazing, Mike Spanos, I was very ravishing, Rick Rude inspired, uh, a little older, younger Shawn Michaels expi- like inspired, like that. I would definitely <laughs> still I would still take some of that for sure, but I would probably evolve my character. I don't know exactly into what, but I would definitely change it up just a bit so you're not doing the same, you know, the greatest hits kind of shtick. Well, your former tag team partner now aligned himself with Danny Cage to sell his soul to be the new Monster Factory World Champion. Like, would you have a beef with that, a problem with that? Would would you come in and gun for him? Well, would he you... would be, if, if I were to do it anytime soon, he would be the guy. I mean, if you're going to go after a title, or I could align myself with him and be a faction and kind of run roughshod over the younger guys and the newer talent there and kind of show them how we did. Maybe we could go after Tag Gold again, and then maybe one day down the road we could go at the, the title. I mean, I think right now... Steve's definitely in a good place. He's he's getting creative control on his character again. And he's kind of learning, you know, what's going to work for him and what's going to stick for him. And I'm actually excited for him now 
I think he's starting to catch some traction over an impact. Starting to get a buzz about him. I think he's doing good vignettes and, and promos and looking strong in all his matches. So I think the sky's the limit for Steve if he keeps doing what he's doing. But if I were to come back at, at some point, maybe that would be a cool match to have for sure. But in the same sense, maybe I'd align and, and be a faction. Get myself back in the, you know, in the main group instead of being down at the bottom of the totem pole, kind of come back to the top. Would you come back? If you had to come back, would, would it be for gold? If I came back, no. I wouldn't necessarily be for gold, even though I never was the Monster Factory heavyweight champion. So that would be something that kind of would be nice to put on my bucket list. But I think I would want to come back to just work with younger guys and help them develop as well as polish myself and more of that kind of role. Because I had my time at the Monster Factory where I was there for for years. And like we were talking about beforehand, like, you know, you become the big fish in, in the smaller pond. And I wouldn't need to do that again. I feel like if I did that, just specifically for that reason, it would just be more of an ego-driven thing. And I would want more kind of help the younger guys and develop more people as well as put myself in a better spot for if I were to get a tryout at a, at a bigger organization. I could see you going after um, the Golden Era being born better. You yes, and Goldie? They're actually, they're I could actually, see you and Goldie going at it. They're actually a very talented crew of kids that I like a lot. Um, they do remind me a little bit of a younger me and their, yeah. their gimmick a little bit. I mean, they're definitely their own, but, you know, they have that arrogance and and that old school heel kind of mentality. They would be a fun crew to work with for sure. I wouldn't mind working with them either with them or against them, but they would be a cool crew. Uh, Sammy Miami is entertaining. I could always go the old route and challenge like Shaheem or or LSG, who I've both had multiple matches with, but I love those guys. Um, but yeah, there's, they have a lot of talent there, a lot of young guys, and if they just keep developing, you know, that's what WWE needs to do, just keep developing young guys. And Danny knew, like, he knew the Punisher Martinez, the QT Marshalls, the Matthew Riddles was going to make it. And then he puts them three together as a faction. Yeah. yeah. At I one mean, point. I think that whole story and that whole faction is, is pretty awesome in its own right. Like, that's definitely something that maybe down the road they can make a. Or if they have a documentary on any of them individually, that'll definitely be a part of their stories. Um, I think Riddle, not to take anything away from Dan, Riddle, I think everybody knew was going to hit. I mean, he, the guy had a great background. He was a freaking UFC. I don't know if he was the champion, but he was a very good fighter with a yeah. solid record. And he only got kicked, you know, he only stopped doing UFC for a personal dumb thing with Dana White. So you knew that his athleticism was there. You knew, you know, he has a great look. Then when you found out the kind of person Matt was, he was a good kid, like funny guy, like down to earth. And he had like, a, I always like said he reminded me of like 
Ashton Kutcher a little bit from that 70s show. But that yeah, was were you there during the time? Yeah, I was there his first night. Me and me and Clutch Adams were like two of the first people to help work with and Aunt Bennett work with him and his wife because his wife also trained in the beginning and uh it was cool it was very cool i'd like to i like to think that some of the guys that we had in at the time we had a really good crew at the time that came to sign he was looking for a school to sign with and i I think it was between us and ring of honor at the time because ring of honor has their own dojo as well um but we had a really good crew in there at the time. It was me, Clutch Adams, Aunt Bennett, uh, Nick Camarado, Billy Damiana. I mean, like, Wild Bill. Some, yeah, Wild Bill was there. Um, I'm probably forgetting the names. QT was there, obviously, at the time. Luis was there. I mean, we had a really good crew, and, and we had really good training sessions and everything. And, and when you came in, it just was like, not to to diminish any other eras of the Mazda factory, but we had a really good era where everybody looked apart, everybody trained really hard. You know, we had a really good crew. And I think Riddle probably went in there and was like, okay, I can work with this. Like this actually seems like a place that is legit. Like, cause sometimes you go to a wrestling show and like I was saying about the flea market stuff, you, you see people and you're just kind of like, what the, what yeah. the hell's going on? Yeah. You know, I guess this isn't yeah. pro wrestling or, if it is, it's yeah. just like a bad parody of it. And, and that's all- what Riddle said. Riddle said it came down to monsters versus cruiserweights in Ring of Honor. And it came down to how often is this gym open? Monster Factory never closes, almost. Right. Yeah, and that's what it came down to. a key where you could just go whenever you want. Right. Um, and they have a gym in there, and you can lift and they had the ring and the mats the amateur wrestling mats and, and we all got cool with the amateur wrestlers and their their coaches and trainers so it was like it's, it definitely had a really good thing and that time was a very good time and I think Riddle kind of went in and, and saw like okay I can learn here I could definitely see myself having some matches here with some of these kids and, and it not being like a joke and yeah. he did he did what we all knew he would be able to do, and he learned very quick. You know, he, he loved it, so he always wanted to try new stuff. And he learned very quick. He learned basics pretty fast. He learned how to put together a match pretty fast. And, you know, then he got moving, and then he he didn't – he had the opposite of what I was talking to you about earlier. Like, he knew at a certain point he became a big fish in a small pond, but – he wanted to branch out, and if you followed his career at all, you saw that he started doing the indie scene, and then he started going overseas, and you know, really getting his name out there and working with big names on the scene. And like, I know he had a lot of big matches before he even signed with WWE, and he really did himself a, a very solid because you know, for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't want him at the time. Maybe the timing wasn't right, whatever it was. But he got his feet, you know, he cut his teeth, so to say, whatever that expression is. And, he, you know, he, he learned the business. And I'm sure he made some decent money along the way as well. And then he ended up landing in NXT. And the rest <laughs> is history. And now he's the original yeah. bro. Yeah. Now, guys for, like yourself who are trying to get to that next level, 
do you take any opportunity you can, whether you get a trial as a ref, you get a trial as an agent, you get a trial as an extra at this point in your career, when you're trying to make it, do you just take whatever you can get and then hope to show them once you make um, it? Or? It depends. It depends on what your, your ultimate goal is. Um, like, like I was saying earlier, like you're, you're not going to be a 6'5", 250-pound referee. And if for whatever reason they do want you to be that, then that, well, they would never have a 6'5". But whatever. Like, say you're just a normal-sized right. person and you go be a referee, you're probably not going to get out of that role. So if you're okay with just, you know, maybe they even have that conversation with you where you're like, listen, you probably envisioned yourself being a main roster person, but we – would really like you to be here. I'm sure they have a nice benefit plan and payment plan and that would be on you. And that'd be your personal decision. If you want to work with a company, like I'm sure there's guys, like I was telling you, like, uh, like Eddie and Danny, they uh, both became referees, but now they're, you know, touring the world, main event, and they're in main events and all that kind of stuff. And obviously you become a part of the show as well, but it's just in a different way. And that would be dependent on, your personal situation and your personal goals. I mean, me personally, I probably wouldn't want to be a referee. I feel like you probably have a stronger chance of being there long-term if you're good and you have a good reputation. Like I'm sure Eddie and and Danny and like Jess, they'll probably be there for many years unless, you know, they do something stupid and they're off time, but I don't think that's in their future. But I think if, if you are just trying to work for WWE or any of those companies, that's not a bad move per se. Like obviously you always want to do extra work. Like I worked with ring of honor and did ring crew, like different things like that, just to get your foot in the door somewhere for sure. But it just all depends on your individual goals and stuff. Like look at it, look at it, Ian Riccoboni, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. He, he started out, I don't know if he did minor league baseball or not, but I know he was with the Monster Factory first, and then he went to, to Ring of Honor, and they kind of just had him doing small stuff, and then now he's like their main commentator, yeah. you know, so mm-hmm. definitely. He was another guy that, like, I kind of knew if he stuck with it. A lot of, it, a lot of the, the business, too, is just sticking around and just putting yourself in good spots and being a good person and being present. And, like, Ian was that. And I was like, if he sticks with that and, and stays around, like, I could definitely see him doing something in the business with some company. And I think that happens yeah. with a lot of guys that have the longevity and the and the wherewithal to stick around. Like, obviously, when I got hurt, I, I dipped out. I got out of the business. But I think if I stayed and I didn't get hurt, I think I could have been in another company. I don't know what right. company, you know, like, I was starting to work with Ring of Honor when Luis was. So when he first started his Punishment Martinez down there, we both kind of went together at the same time. So, like, possibly I could have went there. But my route would have had to have been different than – it would have had to have been kind of like Luis's where you kind of go around and maybe you get a tryout with WWE and then maybe they tell you like, not right now, you know, like, yes. his, his, yeah. I don't know if you watched his documentary, <laughs> Adam Peacock. I mean, you've known, you've known him anyway, just from being around, but you know, he, 
he got told no a handful of times and he had to go to ring of honor and then he went to new japan and he kind of bounced around but when you do all that you get your name out there and that's another thing they looked for so ended up working out for him and now he's doing great i mean he's the united states champion yeah yes he is yep and i thought this was the perfect opportunity with how the wrestling business is blooming um to dissect the rosters, dissect the companies, and to see who you think is the top dog, really. So uh, let's start with Impact. Um, we have uh, the Impact World Champion Christian Cage right now, you know, because he beat Kenny Omega. We have Impact, Impact Knockout Champion Diana Perrazzo, who uh, Steve Cutler knows very well. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, we have your X Division Champ and Josh Alexander. We have the Good Brothers as your Impact Tag Team Champs. And then your Knockout Tag Team Champions, Havoc and Rosemary. You know, plus you got to look at their roster. The roster is huge, too. Mike, you know, you, you got uh, Eric Young. You got um, Wes Morsley, who was with Enzo at the time. Um, Willie Mack, Steve Cutler, Tommy Dreamer still breathing and, you know, doing stuff there. You got Heath Slater, who's Heath now, who's had a couple injuries. He's still trying to find his way there. Matt Cardona, Rich, Rich Swan, Motor City Machine Guns, still doing big. What's your take on Impact right now and the future for them? I think Impact, I don't follow them as closely as I follow um, AW and WWE, but I do keep right. a tab on them, obviously, now with a friend of mine being in the company. But from what I've heard about the company and from, from what I've seen, they've obviously been around a while before being TNA and, and the transitions that they've had. But now I feel like they went from, instead of being a direct, trying to be a direct competition, I feel like with WWE, which didn't really work. I feel like now they're kind of a place to go for people that are either trying to break through to the next level or we're at a place like WWE and, and released because they didn't have things for them. And then they can go there and still have high level professional wrestling and learn the business more and develop characters and, and move bases and you're still on TV. And it seems like they have a good working relationship with AEW, which is nice. Yes. So I think I think AEW, or, um, Impact is definitely going in the right direction and in a positive direction, and I think it's a great place because there are, there's a lot of wrestlers out there. I mean, it sucks when you hear about like WWE letting go, you know, 15 guys and girls, but you have to really think of it. There's only so many slots, and even if they do sign you and you're there, like kind of like what happened to Matt Cardona. He was on the roster for so many years and he was kind of like sparingly used. He was used on house shows and like, yeah, it's cool that you're there and I'm sure you developed good friends and stuff and, and you're part of the business, but I'm sure he had more aspirations out of his run with WWE. And I think when there's places like TNA and ring of honor and other big independent companies like that, that can help either get you back to a WWE or, or, or to an AW. I think it's great because these people need places to go work and, and hone their character and their craft and get paid too. I'm sure they, they don't, you know, work for free. Yeah. They definitely get paid. No. So it's like, you know, right. that's, that's good. The more companies. Do you think it's hard to reinvent yourself though? 
Because look at Matt Cardona. Like, he went against Nick Gage. Yeah. For the GCW title. And so a different side of him. It can be hard. But if you do something like that, like Matt Cardona's doing, and you know, I think he knows wrestling, you know? Like, I think he has uh, a beat for it or a feel for it. And I think he can figure out different ways to to reinvent himself like he's always going to be Zack Ryder and I think a lot of people are always going to have that but it's a testament to people of how creative they are and how good they are and I think people really enjoyed that he showed a different side of himself and you know it created a buzz when he was breaking the light tubes and stuff and all that kind of you know that style and I think like look at what Cody Rhodes did you know he left he was kind of a a gimmicky guy in WWE, like he would have had a job there for life. He was right. Dusty Rhodes' son, you know, Gold Dust's brother. Like he was fine, but he wanted more, and he bet on himself. And he went, he left, and he started doing independent shows, which I thought was insane. I was like, damn, Cody Rhodes is like doing like shows that I could do, like indie shows, yeah, like, something crazy. But he cut his teeth, and he, he kind of reinvented himself, and then he started doing the different independent scenes, and then he got into New Japan and Ring of Honor and got mixed in with the Bullet Club and the hot guys on the indie scene and completely reinvented himself. Now you don't even – you remember Stardust, and you remember you know dashing Cody Rhodes with the mask and all that, but you think of Cody Rhodes now as who he is now because he right. was good enough to, to reinvent himself and to bet on himself and – it's like I was saying with Bray Wyatt earlier, he was Husky Harris earlier, but then he turned into Bray Wyatt, and now that's that's what you'll remember. So if you're good enough, you can definitely do it. Or if you take, you know, maybe you get a million-dollar idea from somebody like a guy like Tommy Dreamer, who's, I'm sure, helping develop young talent down there. He's not really there to be the, the guy in the spotlight anymore. He just loves the business and understands the business. So he's, I'm sure, helping as many young guys like a Steve as he can. And maybe he passes along a golden, you know, a golden idea or a golden character. Right. So it's it's right. good for the business when there's more places to go and and work and hone on your craft instead of just like, yeah, I got cut from WWE. Like it's gonna be a while, or if I if I could even get back, depending on what I got cut for, you know. Or even like Matt Cardona, he went from wrestling in front of like forty thousand WWE impact. And now next month, he's going to be in Triple WA in Quakertown Farmer's Market. Mm-hmm. But it's like that, with, that with 200 said, people. He's a, he's a wrestler, and he knows that that's just how it is. And it sucks when you're only wrestling in front of like 20 or 30 people. But that being said, depending on the crowd, that 20 or 30 could feel like a couple hundred. But right. it, could also, it could also feel like 10 if it's a dead crowd and not really a good area or like a good scene. But... That's just kind of part of the business, and that's just, you know, I'm sure maybe he's kind of trying to do a similar thing to Cody Rhodes and, and do the indies a little bit and get more, because you kind of have to get a, a, a steam about you, and then you got to go from there, and then you got to get into a, a company with, you know, make a connection with somebody, get into a company, and then start a program there, like Cody Rhodes did with the Bullet Club. Like, that was big. He obviously rubbed elbows with them. They liked him. He liked them. And they got involved in that, and then, you know, the rest was history for that time period. And it worked. Let's talk about two rumor um, possible debuts for Impact that Scott D'Amore was talking about. Um, Strowman 
and Bray Wyatt for Impact. Do you see either one of these gentlemen making a force in an Impact? If either of them went there, 100%, they would make a force. Uh, I just don't know if they would definitely be going there or not. Um, I think Strowman would probably make more sense. Hi, my girlfriend's over waving to me now. She's got the dogs about to take him out. But I think uh, I think Strowman would make more sense for TNA or Impact. I keep going. I think he would make an immediate buzz, and I think he could be their top guy. I think Bray would probably be better suited in AEW if I had a choice. Yeah, or maybe even New Japan. Could you imagine him over in Japan? That'd be wild. That'd be sick. Yeah, with the way they are over there. Yep. Now you said why it better for all elite wrestling. Would you see like a a Colt a Wyndham maybe and bring in like a Bo Dallas and uh, Eric Rowan and a Strowman and kind of having the whole Wyatt family together again for a Brody Lee? Kind of like a Wyatt family thing. That would be cool. Or he could kind of do something maybe like Brody Lee was the Dark Order guy. Maybe kind of do yeah. something with the Dark Order or even feud with the Dark Order. And do like what you said, like a Cult of Wyndham thing and feud with the Dark Order. Yeah. Because the true. last time I saw, it looked like they were having issues with the Dark Order. And inside the, the ranks, so maybe that would unite them and, and get them to go after the Wyatt crew or the Colt of Wyndham crew. Because, yeah, I guess he's probably not going to be able to use Bray Wyatt anymore. Right. But, so before we go into all the, where do you see Impact going with this? You, th- you see Impact still staying that fine line? You see them going up? Or you see it's just a roller coaster with them? I think, I think they're going to go up. Because then they also have the women's division, and they have a lot of women in that as well. And Diana is, she does have a very big name for herself and a very big buzz right now. So I could see Impact attracting more eyeballs for different different reasons, like a, a person like Diana. Because once you become a certain level of talent, where I think she's kind of starting to transcend to for women wrestling, I think it's just. It's just good for the the company as a whole to have a person like that because realistically with what she's done already, she could go to any company. Like WWE would take her back, obviously, with what she's done. And AEW would put her in a definitely in a big spotlight match with someone like a Britt Baker or something like that. For sure. So the fact that she's even there still and still making more to her name is is great and i think ada or uh, impact will be and unfortunately because i'm sure they don't have the the bankroll and everything they'll probably always be third in terms of that in the if you rank them out of the three but it's not a bad third it's like kind of a if you get in well like look a christian cage is working on both companies and kenny omega was working on both and the good brothers are working on both so obviously they have a working relationship so if you can fine-tune yourself and do well in impact i'm sure the next step would almost be kind of like an nxt to wwe main roster it might be like okay you became the top dog in tna now we're gonna kind of ship you over to AEW. 
right obviously you get more eyeballs probably a bigger paycheck and mm-hmm. that route so now that we're we are on AEW um a lot of guys who got released from WWE are going there mm-hmm. do you think AEW has enough TV time with all their YouTube shows and everything to make sure the younger talent that has made a name for themselves doesn't get lost in the shuffle with the whole Paul Wright coming back and wrestling Mark Henry saying he still wants one more shot. Now that he's doing rampage um, mm-hmm. CM Punk. We have rumors of Ruby riot coming back this Sunday in the women's battle Royal and a Brian Danielson showing up. Even Adam pay Adam Cole might mm-hmm. show up this, this Sunday. How do you feel about where AEW is right now with their champions and their future? It's tough because they do have so many old names from WWE and from, you know, around the world. And they do have a lot of young guys as well. That being said, it sucks that some of those guys are are maybe getting pushed down or pushed back. But that being said, you get to work with some of the best talent in the world. Like if I was working there right now and I had a small, say I was in the dark order with Cody Vance, you know, like I was another guy, right. And I had a mask or whatever. Maybe it's taken away from some of my TV time, but to be backstage and to learn from, uh, CM Punk and Adam Cole, uh, you know, and just watch how they work and how they put together matches and how they put together programs and, and to pick their brain. If I was a younger guy there and I was working there, I would be as much of a student as I could be to just learn as much as I could. So for when they do give you an opportunity, you know what to do and you're comfortable and you can fit right in that role. And it sucks because you're like, yeah, like in the, when the AEW first came out, like a lot of these guys were on there more and they were featured more. And you're like, correct. But you have to look at it from a business standpoint. AEW's getting more and more eyeballs now, like not to knock any of those guys. They're still in their younger stages, but like a Brian Pillman, a Darby Allen, um, Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, like all these guys, like they're great, but they don't really necessarily have a household name to them yet as opposed to where like you pull in a CM, like who didn't watch CM Punk or at least pull it up on YouTube or Twitter or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that just brought all these eyeballs there and it seems like it's a very enjoyable place to work and a very enjoyable atmosphere to work for the wrestlers that like CM Punk was saying, I want to work with the younger guys and then that's how you're going to develop bigger stars so like if darby allen you know he's already got a decent little buzz for him already but he really knocks it out of the park for this program with cm punk that could catapult him to a whole nother level and that's what you want ideally you don't want just a bunch of good you know bc level guys you want a bunch of a a plus a minus guys that you can interchange like when wwe was at its best you could just you know, mix and match the pieces on the, the checkerboard or the chessboard, and you can have a good program. And that's what you want, ideally, to be like, okay, I got this guy with this guy and that guy with that guy. So, but with right, that being that, said, now, with that being said, QT, you know, QT's story, his journey, almost giving up working for his for Snap, the business. Mm-hmm. Now he's going against the big show. 
Yeah. And see, and that's a that's a, a a perseverance thing. He was very smart. I believe I'm not positive. I don't want to speak out of term on it, but I think he he went into AEW with a different role. Like I think he knew he yep. was going to be a wrestler as well, but I think he does other things behind scenes. I think he's like a producer as well. So he learned a different part of the business, and then it was just a different way to get eyeballs on him. Maybe, you know, QT might not necessarily have, you know, a Mason Ryan or Batista look about him to where, like, you, when you walk in a room, you're like, geez, look at this guy. But Mason Ryan, look at you throwing it back, man. Jeez. But, I was just trying to think of a crazy looking guy. But, um, you know, maybe QT wasn't. Love you, Mason. <laughs> maybe QT wasn't going to stand out <coughs> in that way. So he made sure he aligned himself differently to where being a producer or whatever his technical role is, he got himself to be able to speak with your Jericho's and your Cody Rhodes and stuff. And then also let them know that he has the right mind for it. And he might have good ideas and whatever. I'm sure he's contributed a bunch of good ideas to those guys for different, different things. So exactly. In the same sense, it, it might not be the sexiest thing where it's like, yeah, I just walked in and picked up a microphone and lit the world on fire. And that's what everybody yeah. wants. Everybody wants to be that guy that, you know, even in the back of my mind where I'm like, if I were to get a tryout and I did that, and I just lit the world on fire and everybody's like, this guy's going to the moon. You're like, yeah, everybody wants that. But, you know, there's only going to be a handful of people that could actually pull it off with the time because everything is just. You know, everything Time. has to be aligned. Timing and, you know, the right place, the right time, the right person, the right opponent. So it's it's harder than it it, it is. Like, you know, when you're young, like when I first started wrestling, you just think, oh, it's just a bunch of dudes that like to friggin' work out, have fun, and wrestle. And, like, you know, it's cool. And you're like, there's yeah. so much more to the business that you have to learn and, and like, work on and it's it's a shame that like you're younger when you start because obviously that's you know an athletic person that would be a younger person but your brain matures at a different rate and then you pick up on things that are more beneficial for the your career like as i get older i'll pick apart a match when i'm watching i'm like ah that's why he did that there but then in your brain when you're younger you're like i just got to get to the next move i got to do the cool the cool move yep. the cool slam rush cool rush slam. rush yeah right right and you think that like everybody like knows what you're about to do and real you know realistically they don't right. so so we so we have 5 minutes left and i uh, i want to run down the pay-per-view for this Sunday for all elite wrestling and i just want your initial gut of who you think is going to win Prediction? so we got the, the yep so we got the Casino Battle Royal for the women's. Do you think it's going to be uh, a debut that's going to win this? Like maybe like uh, a Ruby Riot? Ruby or Riot person? Do you think maybe a Deanna might show up? Wow, that's a good question. I'll, I'll go with, just for the sake of me really enjoying that idea, I'm going to say that Ruby Riot will return and win. Whichever, whatever name she uses, but I think that would be, that would be good, unless they're really working on an angle for because who the winner is going to take on Britt Baker. Yep, D unless and C. Unless they're really working on a person for Britt Baker already, that would be pretty cool. It would be cool to see Diana with doing too. 
that that would definitely yeah. create, create a big buzz. But I'll I'll do I'll take your idea. I like the Ruby Riot one. I'll steal it. Okay. All right. The final fight: MJF versus Chris Jericho. Is Chris Jericho? Is this the last time we're going to see him in AEW ring? I think just for the purpose of that, it can't be. I think it's going to be an exciting match. I think there's going to be a bunch of false finishes that are going to make you think, oh, my God, that's the end of Jericho. But I think Jericho pulls it out. I don't think he's, he's ready to go yet. Uh, Paul Wright returning to the ring after, what, five years versus a, a young, hungry QT Marshall. It makes sense. For the big show, or Paul White, excuse me, to to just steamroll him. But I think QT's going to win with outside interference from the factory with Nick Camarado. Wow, okay. Uh, AEW world champ Kenny Omega trying to get retribution against Christian Cage, who took his impact title. Will Christian Cage be a double champion? No. Kenny Omega gets one back. Because it's just for the one title. One title, yep. He gets one back. He's two. He's two in the zone. Too hot right now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about um, uh, two under underused talent in WWE going head-to-head? Pac versus Andrade. I think that might be the match of the night. I think it's going to have... Wow, okay. I think it's going to be uh, a wrestler's match like a you know a diehard fans match because i think they're both very good inside the ring um i'm gonna say andrade's had a lot of buzz right now and he's obviously trying to make a name for himself in the company but i feel like Pac needs it more so i'm gonna go Pac. Yeah. okay um johnny moxley versus new japan wrestler so we know all too well, Kojima. That'll be a fun one. I think that'll be a hard-hitting one. I mean, I yes. know Moxley really enjoys that New Japan style. <sighs> but it's hard to bet against him, so I'll take Moxley. Okay, steel cage match for the AEW Tag Team Championship. The Young Bucks, who are as cocky as ever, versus <laughs> the Lucha Bros. And it's for the titles, correct? Yep. Mm, the Lucha Bros are on fire right now. I really like what they got going on. But I don't know. I don't think the Bucks are going to lose it yet. I think the, the, okay. Bucks, the Bucks retain. Got the Bucks. Okay. TNT Championship match. Miro, who's on fire lately, versus Eddie Kingston. Another hard-hitting match. Yeah. It's going to be another hard-hitting match. But I don't think they're ready to take the steam out of Miro yet either. So I, I'll go sure. Miro. AEW Women's um, Championship match. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD versus Chris Statlander from Best Friends. Britt. Britt. Okay. Britt's, on, Britt's on fire. I think she's she even got the little rub from CM Punk in the very beginning when he came out and, and dropped her name. Mm-hmm. Possibly yep. Adam Cole rumors coming. That's what I'm saying. What do you think think, about Cole? I think... uh, How do you bring him in? Oh, wow. Billy's pinch hit him run. Look at that. There you go. (laughs) Uh, I hear live from Spanish. (laughs) I think Britt is definitely going to be a key player in this 
company. So, especially with rumors of Adam Cole coming back. So, I see her retaining. Punk versus Darby. And Punk leads. I'll go out on a limb and say a surprise. Yes. Punk can afford to lose. Punk can afford to lose and build a program with Darby Allen and keep going. Darby Allen, I think it's another guy they have a lot of stock in. And he's got my all-time favorite wrestler in his corner, and they hang out in the rafters together with Sting. So That's true. I'm going to go Darby Allen. Now, does Sting get involved? And that's how we see the debut of the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Possibly. I could see that, but I don't know if they want to make it. I could see Sting getting involved only because Punk might antagonize him. I don't think Sting will do a heel style, you know, distract the referee kind of thing. I think Punk might mess with him, but I don't think Brian comes out for that. I don't know what I don't. That's the exciting thing about right now is I don't really know. A lot of times I can easily predict like what's going to happen or who's going to come back and and how they're going to do it. But with with the arrival of I didn't necessarily think Punk was going to challenge Darby Allen right away. Mm-hmm. So. It depends on what angle and what direction they really want to go. If Brian wants to come in and work with another young guy, or if Brian wants to come in and, and go right after a big established name. Like, I could see, like, don't you think it'd be a solid angle? Like, if he came in and maybe he went after, like, a Ricky Starks kind of guy? Like, a, Ooh, that'd like be a good. traditional, yeah, traditional kind of yeah. heel kind of kid, but right. a guy that can go against Daniel Bryan, maybe interrupt his you know, first promo, like have Daniel Bryan do what he has to do, you know, to get his huge ovation and excitement. But then maybe the next time they come out on one of the two shows, have Ricky Starks come out because he likes to talk trash or an MJF kind of guy, you know, something like that. I think they're going to probably want to stretch some of them guys like Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson and CM Punk with more of the younger talent. And then I think, when Adam Cole comes in, he might jump right into the fray with the elite kind of guys, either aligning himself with them or going against them kind of deal. Okay. That's just my prediction. I could be way off. Oh. Well, that's that was his prediction. Now we just, we just, that just means we got to come back next week to see how, if you're right or wrong. Yeah. I'm down, brother. And we'll I'm dive down. into some of the WWE stuff. And um, maybe, who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest here next week to actually uh, dive in with us. Yeah. Possibly, I'll I'll uh, I'll start putting my feelers out and see who's available to, to to get on with us, and we'll definitely go over next week, review either our predictions or just the pay per view in general. All right, Spanos, any last words you want to say to your fans out there? Uh, just keep tuning in. I think we have a, a little cool thing going here. I think. We're gonna we're gonna be able to provide a pretty cool wrestling podcast. I don't really know how many of them are out there, so I think we'll be able to, to provide a, a cool insight and a cool take on some of the, 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 the inner beings and works of wrestling going on right now. Definitely. So, so from Spanos to so from Spanos to RC, you can just be completely damaged on MonkerRadio.com, where music reminds me. Thanks, man. Completely damaged!
Bleed down.